Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 3. And Paul just finished in chapter 2 talking to really Jewish people who value the fact that they are Jewish, that they are circumcised, the men, of course. And uh, he says, well, look, what good is it to be circumcised in your flesh and not be circumcised in your life? The circumcision of the flesh for, you know, male uh, little boys was to be a sign that you're in covenant with God and that God circumcises out of your life. He cuts away from your life sin and compromise, perversity and such, replacing it with righteousness and purity and wholeness and holiness and such. And so uh, he's saying it does no good to be circumcised in your flesh and not be circumcised in your life. It's the life that really matters. So he makes that case. And then we start chapter three like this. What advantage then has the Jew? So a Jewish person may be listening to that and said, and saying, wait, I thought we had an advantage as a Jewish person. You know, we're, we have covenant with God, and this was a sign of the covenant, circumcision, right? And so he says, what advantage then has the Jew, or what profit, uh, what is the profit of circumcision? And Paul doesn't say nothing. There's no advantage, and there's no profit. No, the opposite. Watch this. Much in every way. There's much profit in every way. Chiefly, chiefly, Here's the primary way, chiefly because to them, to who? To Jewish people, speaking of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. What are we talking about? We're talking about the scriptures. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. The whole world gets communication from their creator through the scriptures of the Jewish people. So talk about an advantage This is a huge advantage. You have access to God. You know what God says. You you have, you you bought a, a brand new, you know, it's not a car. We all know how to operate a car. But here's this new contraption of sorts, this new high tech, highly sophisticated piece of machinery or technology. And you have been given the instruction manual. You have been given the training from God. And so what advantage do you have? Huge. You're, you become the experts, Jewish people. Why? Because you were given the insights, the understanding about how all life works and why it needs to work like this. See, so he said much in every way is the Jew advantage, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. We cannot underestimate the value of receiving scriptures through the Jewish people. If we don't have any other reason to be thankful for the Jewish people, and there are many. We should be thankful of receiving these scriptures from God through them. Verse 3, for what if some did not believe? Well, what if some people that heard the word didn't believe, or even Jewish people? It goes on to say, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The answer, verse 4, certainly not. I like the King James, God forbid. (laughs) Absolutely not. And so the question, will someone's unbelief who does not believe the scripture make the faithfulness of God without effect? 
Certainly not. Listen to this. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, don't ever trust anybody, no matter how eloquent, how educated, how intelligent they appear to be. If they are contradicting the truth of God's word, then they are foolish. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So until a person comes to, to the conclusion that God is creator and his word is truth. See, now you have started to have knowledge. Now you have begun to have wisdom. And if a person hasn't crossed that threshold, that God and his word are truth, then we should disregard what they're saying. And I'm not saying they can never speak anything that is true, because of course they can. But with regards to anything that contradicts God, we should discount them. It says, indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man a liar, as it is written, and he's going to quote from the Old Testament, the 51st, 51st Psalm, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And that comes from, you remember when David, David had sinned. David was a man after God's own heart, but he had this season of his life where he sinned. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. And then he began a cover-up. And then he ended up having her husband murdered because he couldn't get it covered up by having her husband come and, you know, uh, have intimacy with his wife and think that it was his baby instead of David's baby. So he had Uriah murdered. And you remember this. And then what happened? That once the baby was born, then uh, judgment was on David and his household. And God said, the baby's going to die. But David prayed now in Psalm 51 and he, he's letting everybody know, look, God, you didn't do this. I'm the one that brought this judgment. I'm the one that sinned, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. David wanted everybody to understand that this death, this, this judgment did not happen because God's a meanie. No, this judgment happened because somebody who had been blessed and anointed and prospered and protected by God decided to compromise and then to continue to compromise and compromise and compromise while God was trying to get his attention. And he rebelled and he would not listen to God. And David is now saying, oh, that you, God, may be justified in your words and what you say and may overcome when you are judged. Because people are going to say about that baby, well, it was just the will of God that that baby went on to heaven. Just the will of God. God wanted that baby in heaven with him. Or we don't know why that happened. David is saying, no, we know exactly why that happened. It's because of my sin. That's why it happened. Let God be true and every man a liar. See, so David is acknowledging, and Paul is bringing this up, that we have to acknowledge that uh, people have to take responsibility for their sin. If God says something, that's true. And we shouldn't be adding to the word of God to try to make it look like God caused these kinds of things. That's a little off topic from what we're talking about, but it's certainly applicable to this principle. So, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, God, that uh, and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness, if our unrighteousness, listen, demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? 
Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? So if I do something that's unrighteous, but it demonstrates something righteous with God, then is it wrong of God to judge me for that? No, it's not wrong of God to judge me. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? No, God has to judge the people of God uh, when they do wrong, and God will judge the world when they do wrong. Verse 7, For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do good, or excuse me, let us do evil that good may come. Hey, if doing evil is eventuating into God doing something good or in good happening, then why shouldn't we keep doing it? As And Paul says, as we are slanderous, slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Paul's saying, I do not believe that, and I do not teach that. I do not believe it, and I don't teach it. And so we, we could see that God will take an adverse situation, something that is not good, and he'll turn it around, or he'll use it to the advantage of the people involved. And so... Uh, Paul is saying, we don't hold that doctrine that because that's true, that God uses bad or evil things for a good purpose, that we should condone doing bad or evil things. Oh, God will turn it around. Oh, God will use it. No, Paul's saying, we don't teach that. We don't live that. We don't condone that. Those that accuse us of embracing that belief and doctrine, their condemnation is just because they're making that up. Well, this is Paul's way of saying that's fake news. It's not true. Verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Everybody, even though the Jews do have a covenant with God and they have advantages by the Scriptures and such, we're still all, as human beings, under sin, as it is written. And then he's going to go into a lengthy quote from the Old Testament. But guess what? This is a compilation of various texts of scriptures, mainly from the Psalms, but also Isaiah and potentially even uh, Ecclesiastes. Paul is going to just put a whole string of things together that go together, but he's picking them out of various places. Paul was a Pharisee and he knew the law. He knew the word of God. So he says, uh, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin as it is written. And he's going to show from the scriptures. There is none righteous, no, not one. He's quoting. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. In other words, what they say. They're speaking death. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. What does this mean? That means they're speaking words that are like a venomous snake. They, they're going to injure people. The poison of asps, a snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. End of those quotes. Verse 19, now we know, he goes on to say, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So God spoke 
his word, he spoke his commandments of what's right and what's wrong so that every mouth can be stopped. Look, now you know. Now you know the truth. Whether you believe it or not, whether you ignore it or not, whether you refute it or not, it's still true that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Now, what he's talking about here is part of the gospel. In other words, before the gospel feels like good news, you have to understand the bad news. And what's the bad news? That as human beings, because of the sin of Adam that passed down to every human being, we are all born in sin. And we have this propensity to sin. Our flesh likes to sin. We like to do things our own way. We don't like to be told what to do. And until you get saved and washed by the blood of Jesus and born again inside, you don't have the strength to stop sinning. And so Paul is just establishing there is none righteous. There's nobody righteous. All of us have been in sin and continue to do sin. And so he goes on to say that the law is speaking so that everybody will stop uh, talking and having their own opinions. The law is saying this is right and wrong, but the law, the Bible also tells us, the Old Testament scriptures also tell us that nobody is able to keep the whole law. Everybody is in compromise. There's none righteous. No, not one. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, God's sight, for by the the law is the knowledge of sin. So the more you see the law, you you shall do this and you shall not do that. The more you understand about that, the more you realize there's no way that I, I can measure up. I've compromised too many times already, and I see myself continually continuing to compromise. And so he said, you have to come to the conclusion that by obedience to the law, being perfect, perfectly in obedience to the law, we'll never be able to be saved. Paul said, that's the point. You need to realize the law is right. God is telling you the right things that you ought to do. But you also realize you're compromised as a human being. You're born into sin and you have the flesh and the carnal mind. And so he said, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So those laws are telling you what's right to do and what's wrong to do. And it's just revealing to you that you've been doing a lot of wrong things. See, and so that that didn't save you just to know that. What it did do is to help you to realize you need salvation. <laughs> and that is a powerful a predicate, a precursor, almost we could say a prerequisite to you receiving the gospel. You have to acknowledge that you need a gospel. You need a savior. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, not sinfulness, the righteousness of God, apart from the law is revealed, apart from the law, apart from trying to do the do's and not do the don'ts, right? Apart from that, the righteousness of God is revealed. Well, what did we read in chapter 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel brings out this good news that you can be a righteous person without trying to be obedient to every little thing. You can become righteous by a gift. And this is what he's going to explain in the next couple of chapters. He said, uh, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
So the law, meaning like the first five books of the Bible and the prophets, you know, all the way from Isaiah through Malachi, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, these things were written in the Old Testament about the grace of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that will come from the Messiah, Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. How do you get this righteousness? You receive it by believing, believing that Jesus paid the price, washed us with his blood, paid the price on, with the death on the cross. And he's exchanging his righteousness for our sinfulness. I'll take your sin and die with it. And I'm going to give you my righteousness because he was righteous. He was not a sinner. He had never sinned. He died on the cross with our sin. So he says, on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, not by works, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice by his blood. Jesus was our substitute. When, when Jesus died on the cross, God put our sins, yours, mine's, and mine, and the sins of the world on Jesus and judged our sin on the person of Jesus Christ. So his blood that was spilled, innocent blood, paid for all of those sins. And it goes on to say, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a substitutionary sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, his patience with us and our sins, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just. He, he does the right thing. He does things fairly and justly. Okay, But he not only wanted to be just, but he wanted to be the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. So even though we can't measure up with a perfect obedience to, to obey every commandment and not, oh, not do the things that we're forbidden to do, even though we can't get saved that way because we've already blown it. <laughs> blown it one time means you're not perfect. You're compromised. You need, you need redemption. That has to be reconciled. It's like if you have zero dollars in your bank account and then you spend $150. Well, the bank wants that to be reconciled. You owe us money. You owe us $150. And you might even get some late fees on that, right? Even if you don't spend anymore, you owe us $150. Even if you break one law, now you owe God because you weren't righteous. You weren't perfect. But he not only wants to be just and right in how he judges that matter, but he wants to be the justifier of the one who puts his faith in Jesus. When he sent his son to die on the cross and to shed his innocent blood for our sins, God was saying, I want to justify all those sinners over there. So if they'll put their faith in the sacrifice that I'm making of my own son and his innocent blood paying for their sins, then I'll, I'll declare them justified. I'll declare that they don't owe anything anymore. Their debt has been completely paid through Jesus. See, so their debt is not going to be paid by doing right and being obedient enough. No, their debt is going to be paid by grace. 
But having their debt paid by grace, of course, now you need to be obedient because you're saved, you're washed, you're in right standing with God. If you believe it, live like it, see? So uh, God wants to be the just, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. <laughs> the law of faith. Your, your boasting is excluded because you didn't earn this salvation. Oh no, you just believed in what Jesus did. And so that's why you have nothing to boast about. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And this is important. Do we need to be obedient? Yes. But can you be obedient enough to be saved? Never. It's too late already. But even if you could start from today, you wouldn't make it because of the flesh. So he said, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. In other words, you're justified by faith in Jesus and his payment for your sins. Oh, and God says, you're justified. It's over. Paid in full. Oh, praise God. He goes on to say, verse 29, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So by not trying to do everything perfectly to be saved, but putting our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice to be saved, he's saying, are we making void the law? Like, well, that's irrelevant anymore. He's saying, no, actually, we're establishing it, that Jesus kept the law, and that righteousness that we received was a righteousness of keeping the law. Jesus lived that holy life. So the righteousness that we're receiving by faith and grace is a righteousness of keeping the law. So what he's saying is, we don't throw the law out now. No, we've been given the gift of having kept the law, though we know we didn't. So what should we do? This gift of having our debt paid, stay out of debt. Keep walking in righteousness. And what happens if we sin? Well, 1 John 1, 9 tells us you confess it to him as sin and allow him to watch you get you out of debt again. Not by dying on the cross again, but with the payment that he already made, allowing that same blood to wash you afresh and to keep you out of the debt of sin, to keep you walking in righteousness. Why did Jesus pay that great price to get rid of your sin for us to keep walking in sin? Is that right? Somebody that is living on the streets and is freezing out in the cold every night, and now somebody comes and rents them an apartment, and it has central heating and food stocked and everything. And then we get this person, they're all, you know, bathed, cleaned up and, and you know, bring them to the hairstylist or whatever and get them some fresh clothes and manicure, pedicure. I mean, and they're all dialed in. Why would you go back to live on the streets again? All this payment has been made for you. And in the same way, we couldn't earn this life of for being forgiven and and of grace. But Jesus, having purchased it for us, why would we go back and sin? See, we should be living this way now, living in the comfort and the blessing of God, living as if we're not homeless anymore, as if we're not sinners anymore. And so that's what Paul's saying.
do we make the law void? Like, yeah, we don't need the law anymore. We don't need to know what's right and wrong and do's and don'ts anymore. No, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. That no, this is the right way to live. This is the right way to live. We don't live according to the standards of God. To be saved, we could never earn it. But having been saved, we, we live by the grace of God with the standards of God, knowing, well, this is the right way to live. And God knows it, and we know it too. All right, that's chapter 3, and it's going to flow right into chapter 4, another great chapter explaining salvation by faith. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.